This podcast is presented to you by Pastor Steve Vickers in Christian Life Church in Montgomery, Alabama. For more information, visit ChristianLifeChurch.com. We've been talking about, on the subject, you were born for this. So everybody say, I'm here for a purpose. Say that again with me. I am here for a purpose. And you know, just like your story, what Denise uh, read about your story, how tragic, and it grips my heart, and I mean, it makes me sad and angry. There's a part of me, a dad, that wants to go find those guys and send them on to eternity. I'm serious. I mean, you know, I want to take a Louisville slugger and explain it to them real good. But, uh, you know, in your life and in all of our lives, the stories may not be the same, but in all of our lives, the enemy understands that if ever we discover God, if we meet Jesus, suddenly our life is going to find its purpose. And once it does, he's in trouble. And so what he does is he works continually, and he is no respecter of age. He won't wait till we're 21. He starts three years of age with you. He starts as soon as a child is born. He'll start with the way parents treat them or mistreat them, any kind of thing. He works with kids in school and parents. I'm going to tell you what, don't take your, just because your child is young, say they don't know what, they're not going through anything yet. You don't know how the enemy is working to try to destroy their lives to where that they become warped. You know, wounded people wind up wounding others. Broken people break others. And so he wants to break us as soon as he can so that we go out and break people. See, and yes, I know that we can discover Jesus later in life. But why wait until we've wreaked havoc and where there is a, a trail of wreckage in our life and the lives of others? We want to get them while they're young. Thank God for kid life, for preschool and nursery, what's going on. Thank God for what's going on with the junior high over there and the, the mentoring program that Pastor Brian and Stacy are doing and Pastor Stephen back there and kid life. But also, you know, they cannot undo or take the place of you, the parents. They will support and help what you're doing. So, but we want everybody to understand we're here for a purpose. Everybody is here for a person. Everybody has significance. And so we've been teaching for this uh, short little series here on you were born for this. You were born for this. And this morning I want to talk to you about creating a culture of caring and how beautiful what Denise and and it did, and the testimony there segues right into the message. It just fit perfectly, uh, and sh- sh- she didn't know what I was teaching. But you know, we ask, are, are lurking deep down in the side of every human being are some questions. Why am I here? What am I supposed to do with my life? Do I matter? Do I make a difference Does anybody even care that I'm here? Is this all that I'm supposed to do? Is this all there is for my life? Or is there something more? Now, we don't sit every day and ponder those things because 
We have to deal with the now. We're so caught up in the now. And life has a way of keeping our attention, doesn't it? Uh, years ago, uh, we were going, when I was a young pastor and Rosie was my young secretary. And uh, we were so busy and she was working, we were working from early in the morning to late at night. And I mean, every day just about. And even on weekends, we'd be busy doing things, calling. And I mean, we weren't always working together, but we were both working and everybody, uh, it was a busy time. And, and I remember I told her, I said, I'm sure that if we can just get over this hump, things are going to really kind of slow down and, and it'll be nice. Y'all have never thought that or said that, I know. But you see, I was kind of naive. And I thought, surely we're going to kind of get through this mess. We're going to drive through this storm or push through this fog. And we're going to get, it's going to be a nice, calm pasture and things will be easy. Anybody know what I'm talking about? Boy, here we are years later and I've realized, forget that. It you know, that will be when I get to heaven, but here there is so much going on. You're all in the now, and so we don't really dwell on those deep elemental questions, those things that really center our life and focus our life. We, we tend to spend all of our time on making some money, getting what we want, or getting through what we need to get through, or getting where we want to get, and all those kind of things. And we're so temporal, so very temporary, we spend all of our time thinking about something that is for a moment. But there is within all of us a God-given question mark that says, but what am I really here for? Why am I here? Does my life matter? It's got to matter more than eight to five or nine to five and, and a clock and bills or pay, you know, punching a clock and paying bills and, and getting up and having a little fun on the weekend maybe and then going back to all the grind and then all of a sudden you get to the end and you die. Does my life have something bigger than that? Now, you may wonder, well, what does the title Creating a Culture of Caring have to do with I was born for this, answering those questions? Well, you're going to find out. Because if we do this, if we create a culture of caring in our church and in our lives individually and in our homes and our families, then all of a sudden we begin to discover something we were really born for. We find that something more because the something more is not exchanging what you're doing. It's giving reason and purpose behind what you're doing. So that when I'm on that job just making some money, I realize that's not what my life is about. It's a necessary thing, but my life is about something far grander and greater. I like what, uh, you know, the final four uh, is going on. Florida didn't show up for the game. But UConn, let me tell you what their coach said. And I'm going to tell you what. I think it was, and I know some of you are like, what is he talking about? I'm talking about basketball, the uh, March Madness with the uh, college basketball. The UConn coach said this in an interview. He said, the difference in our team is this. We don't play for the name on the back of the jersey. We play for the name on the front of the jersey. Their personal name's back here. Their school name is here. 
And see, when you discover why you're here, when you discover why God calls you to enter the human race, it wasn't by accident. It wasn't something that your mom and dad did in the heat of a moment of pleasure. It was God's destiny for you. God had a purpose because he's got a name on the front of your jersey that you're going to live for. Yeah, you're going to have to do things for the name on the back, but your life is really about what's on the front. And so we're going to talk about creating a culture of caring. And I want to help you answer the questions. We talked about it. Let's zero in on it. And it's found here. I'm using, I'm going to take a a portion of scripture found in Luke chapter 10. And uh, it is where Jesus, on verse 25, it says this. One day an expert in religious law stood up to test Jesus by asking him, by asking him this question. You know, it's amazing to me how I've had that happen so many times, uh, you know, People, I can tell the way they'll say things to me. They're testing. I want to, te- you know, are you a good pastor? Are you real? All this, you know. And it's amazing. But that's the way people are. And he said, teacher, what should I do to inherit eternal life? So, there's the context. Here's the context of the story. The context, the backdrop is this. How do I receive eternal life? Can I rephrase that? How do I find the eternal in all of the temporal earthly things of my life? How do I find what really matters? How do I discover that that is eternal in the midst of all the just natural mundane things of my life? How do I find eternal life? And Jesus replied to him, what does the law of Moses say? Now, why did Jesus say that? Because Jesus, at this, he was born under the law and he taught under the law. He ministered under the law. And so he took them to the law because in the law was the way to life. The problem was the flesh of man, not the law. Because of our sin, it was hard for us to do what the law said. But the law does tell the way. And it's wonderful if we understand it. He says, what does the law of Moses say? How do you read it? The man answered, you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your strength, and all your mind. And love your neighbor as yourself. Right, Jesus told him. Do this and you will live. Now, let's just park there for a moment. Jesus tells the man, he's not deceiving the man. He didn't say, you have to believe on me to receive eternal life. He said, if you'll do what you just said, you will have eternal life. Are you listening to me? You see, we say, well, I believe in Jesus, so everything's cool. Well, believing, the word believing means there's going to be some action that's going to demonstrate a life that proves that Jesus is real in your life. And so it's not about us saying, oh, I believe in Jesus. It's about us living out something that demonstrates that people don't have to ask if we believe in Jesus. We are proving it by the way we live. Jesus tells the man, if you will do what you just said, you will have eternal life. You'll have it. 
And what was it? It is this, and it is the sum of the law. It is, if you take the whole word of God, and you were to say, what, what sums up the whole love of God? I mean, the whole word of God. It is this. It is this scripture. It is the, well, it's actually two scriptures in Deuteronomy 6, 5, and Leviticus, I believe, 19, 18, that are put together. Deuteronomy 6, 5 says, talks about, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, he is one. And uh, you must love the Lord your God with all of your heart, soul, mind, and strength. That's Deuteronomy 6, 4, and 5. Okay, that is the, the, the crown jewel of the law in the Jewish faith. But then in Leviticus 19, 18, it says, and you must love your neighbor as yourself. Part of the law. And so the man says, here is, Jesus says, what, how do you, what does the law of Moses say about receiving eternal life? How do you sum it up? How do, what does it say? How do you read it? And the man says, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and you shall love your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus said, you're right. That's it. Do that and you'll live. Do that and you'll have eternal life. That tells us a lot about finding our purpose in life. Finding why God put us here on this planet at this time. So he says, we're to love God with all our being to love our neighbor as ourself. As a matter of fact, the Bible is very clear in Old and New Testament that the only way you and I can prove or demonstrate to the world that Jesus is real, that God is real, that the Bible is true, the only way we can demonstrate we love God is by how we love people. I read um, a quote by an atheist, a statement made by an atheist. I've read quite a bit of those things. You say, oh, it's going to mess you up. Well, only if you're not very solid in what you believe. I know what I believe. Uh, and he made this statement. He said, the Christian message is, without a doubt, the greatest message of hope the world has ever heard. Its only problem is Christians. Marx, Karl Marx said, Christianity could take over the world, and it should. But it can't because of Christians. They are its greatest hindrance to its proclamation. Now, what does he mean? Jesus said, what does the law say about eternal life? That you can know you have it. The way to it and then know you have it. He said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And we want to shout right there. And we want to dance. And we want to sing. And we want to build a tower to God right there. But he says, Jesus says, hold on. That's only one side of the coin. And without the other side, that coin is not legal tender. He said, the rest of the story is this. You must love the Lord, yes, but you must love your fellow man just like you love yourself. 
As a matter of fact, it's the only testimony that I love God is by the fact that I love my fellow man. See, you guys, in the way you love these girls and sacrifice and show, pour out your lives for them, you are great preachers. Bunny, you're a great teacher. Ed, you're a wonderful preacher. But the greatest message you preach is your lives. It shouts so much louder and so much clearer. And even people that wouldn't listen to a word you say, they cannot deny the heart of love you live. And that's what the world is crying out for, and that's what God needs, and that's where the church should be. We want to preach messages when we need to be a message. Jesus tells us a parable. Now, let's look at it. Here in, uh, he starts, because the man, let me uh, finish this. The man asked this of Jesus. Who is my neighbor? Who is my neighbor? And Jesus gives a parable. Now, listen to it. Jesus replied with an illustration. A Jewish man was traveling. Okay, so he's a Jewish man. He is in a place called, uh, or he's traveling uh, in to, from Jerusalem to Jericho. Jericho was in Samaria. And so he's traveling from the Jewish country to the Samaritan country. Now, the Samaritans were uh, not accepted by the Jews. And they were not considered religious people. So the man's traveling, and he was attacked by bandits. They stripped him of his clothes. Just like the devil strip, tried to strip you of your dignity, of your identity, of your grace, of your life, and of everything that you are. And without Jesus, he would have succeeded. But you know what? That's where all of the world is. That's where all of the world is. He stripped, they stripped him of his clothes and money. They beat him up and left him half dead beside the road. By chance, a Jewish priest came along, but when he saw the man lying there, he crossed to the other side of the road and passed him by. Now here's a preacher that goes by and he sees the man over there so to make sure he doesn't dirty himself because that was a, some, uh, 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 you know, this man is there all bleeding and everything. He doesn't want to dirty himself. He's a holy man. So he goes to the other side. You know what's sad is we're asking the world to come to us, yet Jesus said for us to go to them. We're saying the world ought to come to church, and Jesus said to the church, you, you ought to go to them. There's nowhere that Jesus said for the world to come. There's nowhere that the Bible says for come. The only person, the only time the Bible says for us to come is to come to him. But nowhere does it say to come to church. But it does say this, it's going. You know, the strength and the beauty and the power of a church is not in its seating capacity, but in its sending capacity. God's not going to pat a pastor on the back for how many people he had attending, but for how many he was sending. See, we're all into our church and our, our, our life and our, you know, we'll pray for a parking spot, but we won't pray for a per person in the parking spot. 
We're wanting them to move so we can get the closest spot. You don't know. They may be sitting there thinking I'm ready to end it all. And you're saying, come on, I want that spot. I know that's not you. Jewish priest comes by and walks on by him. A temple assistant, a Levite, walked over, looked at him lying there. Now he gets a little more involved because he's not a preacher. He's not quite as holy. So he's not so afraid of dirty him himself. You know, I, I want to pastor some people and I want to be the I want to be an example in this. But I want to pastor people that aren't afraid of dirtying their hands. I want to pastor people that their holiness is not so fragile they cannot touch the hurting, the bruised and broken and the lost. I've been around Christians that couldn't stand and talk to a drunk because he smelled of cigarette and he reeked of alcohol. And they walk away and they say, that disgusted me. I say, you disgust me. And you disgust God. What if Jesus had had that? See, we forget where we came from, which is what I preached last week. We forget where we came from. I know, see, some of you say, I never came from that. It doesn't matter. God counted us all as dirty, filthy. He said to where that even our goodness is as a filthy, stinking rag. Do you know what that stinking rag is? Well, I won't say because some of you is too much for church. But you use it in your bathroom. You get the picture. It's usually sitting by the toilet. And he's not talking before it's used. He's talking about after it's used. And it stinks. And he said, but every good thing you do, that's what it is to me. It is not our goodness that matters. It's his purpose for our life that matters. And we're here to care for a lost and dying world. And that's it. A temple assistant walked over, looked at him lying there, but he also passed by on the other side. Then a despised Samaritan, non-religious, and this is what saddens me, came along and when he saw the man, he felt deep pity. He was moved with compassion. You realize that every miracle Jesus did in the Bible, it was because of compassion. Where is the heart of compassion in the church? People say, where are miracles? Why don't we see miracles in the church? Why don't we see healing? There's no compassion in the church. We sing about it, but we don't live it. See, God doesn't view us just when we're here. He knows where we were before we came here. He knows how we've been all through the week. See, God sees us all the time, not just he didn't close his eyes and an angel say, okay, they're in church now. Okay, you can open your eyes. They're in the service. They're looking good, acting good. Everything's fine. No, he watches our lives. And you know, how we are out there determines how he will be in here. Let me say that again. How we are out there it determines how he's going to be in here with us. And we say, oh, why doesn't God do this? I don't see God doing much in the church. It's because we're not doing much out there as the church. You know, no pastor can grow a church. No more than a shepherd can create 
sheep. If he does, he needs to be killed. He's got problems. No. You know, now see, I'm a pastor here, but I got to be a sheep out there and I need to be touching lives. I need to be caring about people. I need to be talking to people. I need to be communicating Jesus to people. And by God's grace, I endeavor to, you know, and I seize opportunities. And it, I love it. I love it more than pastoring. Just being able to touch lives and interact with people and, and share Jesus and the reality of who God is. But I'm going to tell you what. You can tell how, what the people are doing in their life by what God is doing when they're together in a service. Now, I know we can do a performance and stir everybody up and get everybody excited, but that's no more than if we went to a concert or a motivational thing for Amway or anything else. I'm talking about the reality of God's presence. This man, listen to what he does. A despised American, a Samaritan came along. When he saw the man, he felt compassion. He was moved. I was in Haiti when I wanted so bad. And I really, my plan for my life when I first got saved was to be a missionary. And so I was going to go on the mission field. And I had a plan. I was working. I'm a great one. To, I'd love to plan. And so I, I planned. But I know, I, you know, God knows he's in charge of my plan. And my plan has a disclaimer. This is what I plan to do as long as it's what God wants me to do. Okay. But uh, so I had this five-year plan. I wrote it out. Denise, you know, we talked about it and everything. And I was going to be on the mission field in five years and, and all this and uh, doing uh, Big, you know, evangelism, start out small, but work up to evangelistic crusades and winning people in planting churches and doing pastor training and raising up leaders to pastor the churches and all of that. And so I wanted so bad to go. So I went over to Haiti because it's the cheapest flight I could get. I could drive to Miami and catch a little bitty flight over to Haiti. It didn't cost me anything. And I got a one-way ticket. And so I just went over. And I lived with a Haitian family. Denise is back uh, here in Montgomery working, you know, and, and making a living. And I was over there uh, living with this Haitian family. And I slept on the floor and, and uh, I ate out of the pot uh, that she, the lady cooked out of in the back that the dog was licking out of while she was cooking. And, uh, you know, and I bathed in this little creek. Uh, that was just down from the house, not right by the house. I got over. And I remember one time I was bathing and some Haitian ladies, I didn't realize that they were washing clothes on the rocks down a little ways. And so they came and stood and were waiting for me to get out of the water because they wanted to see what a white man looked like. <laughs> and so I stayed in the water. I couldn't get out of the water. And we couldn't communicate. It was like, okay, go. And they're talking and they're laughing and doing all this. And they wanted me to get out of the water. Well, I'm not getting out of the water. This is my bathtub. <laughs> so eventually they left because one of them, the older one came along and got on to them. They were young women. And uh, this older lady came on. She fussed at them and got them all the way. And I could get out of the water. Of course, then I looked like a prune anyway. But 
uh, we were, I was walking along one day and here was this road. It was all this dirt road and people were going by everywhere. And there was a man laying down and I thought, well, that's a strange place to take a nap. But when I walked up, his head was on a big stone and blood was all over the stone. And so I, I looked and nobody, I said, help, help. You know, nobody stopped. So I got down there. I got him, got him to see if he was dead. And he came back conscious and I picked him up. He was so, he was so hungry and had not eaten in so long because there's so much poverty and starvation there. He had not eaten. So he could not even, he uh, was just like dead weight. And I took him to this little uh, store and they had there this drink. It's got like milk and all this stuff in it and it's high potency. It's like 10 meals in a bottle. And I got one and I let him drink a little bit all along. And in about an hour, he got to where he was, he could communicate and he was doing better. And I shared with him uh, about Jesus, you know, and about the gospel. You want to know why I did that, you know, and uh, able to minister to him, pray for him. Now, I'm not saying that for me. I'm saying it to say this. That picture of that man lying there on that road while people are walking by, I'm not kidding, there was a mass of humanity. The road was literally packed with people going both ways, walking. And they were walking by him. And I dare say in that group, there was a lot of Christians that walked by him. But they walked on by because they had things to do. Now, this is not about me, but all it took me was stopping my life for a moment long enough to care or caring enough to inconvenience myself to dirty my hands and to help him out. And it touched his life, but it touched my life far more. The purpose of our life The reason we are here. I mean, yes, there's great things you can do. I believe all that. But the greatest thing you can do is care enough to do something. The word compassion, I love the meaning, the definition. Matter of fact, I wrote it down in my notes here, it says this. A feeling of deep sympathy for another who is stricken by misfortune. That's the, the problem is that's where so many of us stop. But here's what I have noticed. Let me rephrase that. I've seen this in the church. Not, I'm not talking about this church. But I've seen it in too many Christians. That because we've passed so many by, it's easy to pass all by. Because we've blind, turned a blind eye to one, but over time our eyes are blinded to all. Because we desensitized our heart for that one, we've become desensitized to all. 
If I started preaching messages all about you and what God will do for you and how great things can happen for you and how you can believe God for this and you can believe God for that and you can have this and you can have that and God will do this and God will do that. I mean, I know how to fill a church building up. But I'm telling you, when I came back as pastor this time, I said, I'm not doing that. I said, if that's what they want, let them go. Because that's not going to win a world. Churches are trading members like kids trading cards, uh, playing cards. They don't trade those baseball cards, but we used to. It's almost a game. And a world is dying and going to hell. They're on the roadside of life bleeding and dying. They've been beat up by the devil. And we're wrapped up in our lives. I wonder if, if you had to write all your prayers down or if we, were, we had a recorder of all your prayers and we played them, would they be prayers that would move us all to do something great for God or would it be all about what you're wanting in your life? Now listen, I'm not just, I'm not getting on to you. I'm talking about us, me. Because I have looked at my life and now that I'm back pastoring, I told God, because there's something stirring in me. And I told Denise, I said, I'm not going to do it. And she told me, she said, Steve, you know, you could go back and do some of those things that the church had just explode. I said, that's not what it's about. That's not where my heart is. We've either got to raise up a committed army of selfless people who are willing to lay their life on the altar and take up a cross just like their Savior did and go out and walk among the hurting and bruised of life and salvage those that are perishing or the church doesn't even need to be here. You don't have to go to Haiti. You don't have to go to Africa. You don't have to go around the world to find somebody. I'm telling you, right here in Montgomery, they're all around. And they're in need. You and I work with them. You and I are around them. We pass them every day. And listen, it's not an either or. I just got involved in a new business. All right? I did. Because... I got to provide for my family. I have to provide. All right? So I just got involved in It's a part-time thing I'm doing on the side. I'm not going to tell you which side it is, but I'm doing it on the side. <laughs> but, okay, I've got to do that. But that doesn't take away from why I'm really here. It's not a thing we just say, well, I would, but I've got to make a living. I've got to do this. I've got to do that. I'm going to tell you what. Right where you're making a living, there's people around you. Amen. That if you'll just open your heart and say, okay, Jesus, I'm willing to be used. I'm willing for you to interrupt my life to do what you want to for someone else. When you do, it will change your life. Really, all that we're talking about here, it boils down to this. It's simply about caring. 
about caring. But the trouble is caring can be dangerous. Caring can be dangerous. I think about Joe with the wooden leg. I'm not going to tell the story, but in the early days of our church, we, we got snookered. We got done in. We got deceived. We got taken. We got used. Well, the end of the story was that guy was on death row and was executed. But he said this. He was up in Kentucky on death row and was executed up there. He said this. And the man, the attorney general from the state of Kentucky called me to tell me about what Joe had said because he said, I'm a believer and I had to call the pastor for people that were like that. When we were a little group of people, about 25 people, we, prov- we took care of Joe. We got him a house. We got him furniture. We did everything. All of our church got together and gave everything he needed. We did, supplied everything for them, took care of them, helped him. We were looking for a job for them, and they stayed there until they used up when they knew how long they could stay, and, and then they better leave. They left. Well, Joe said this on death row as he sat there. He said, I use people all my life. And he said, I am a deceiver and I deserve. He committed murder. He said, I deserve what is about to happen to me. But he said, there was one group of people in my life that's on my road of deceiving people. He said, they were the genuine article. And the, thing, the man said this. I said, well, did Joe get saved? He said, yes. Joe gave his heart to the Lord and he said, because he knew Jesus is real because he saw him in you, your, in your people. Now we were only like 20, 25 people at that time. But you know what? We got done in. See, the dangerous thing about caring is you can get suckered. It'll cost you. It's easier to walk on by. But it only seems easier because it's going to cost you. See, the money and the stuff and the time we spent with Joe, God keeps good records. He's able to repay all that. But even if God didn't, I would rather lose it caring than hold on to it and shut off caring. I'd rather be used and have a tender heart, then guard myself from being used and build walls even God can't get through. Caring enough to do something is the only true testimony of Christianity. The rest of the definition of, of compassion is it is a feeling of deep sympathy, but it's accompanied by a strong desire to alleviate the suffering with action to do something. To do something. Let's Let's make a decision that it's really not about us, but it's about Jesus 
using us to help hurting people. Let's find practical ways. You open your heart and and let God show you practical ways that you can make a difference in the lives of people. Make the decision to care enough to stop your life and to help someone. Now let me say, not everyone's going to say thank you. Not everyone is going to receive. Not everyone's going to fall down and start worshiping Jesus. There's people you'll help that will go on. There's people I've helped that I've done all kinds of things for that went on and used me and served the devil even more. Was I a fool? I don't think I was the one that was the fool. I think when we stand before God, God will say, you had an opportunity to that person. But I'm glad that God won't have to say to me, you had an opportunity, but you didn't take it. I'm going to ask you to do two things, two significant things this morning. One thing is I'm going to ask you to commit your life individually to make a difference by caring. Commit yourself to say, I'm willing to be an instrument of caring. Thank you for listening to this podcast. For more information, visit ChristianLifeChurch.com.